There's a long history in America of naming streets and infrastructure projects after the great and the good. For example, the JFK airports. And you can hardly visit a city in America without finding a street or avenue named after Jefferson or Washington. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King is another individual who many streets have been dedicated to. And the names of war heroes such as Patton and Eisenhower often found adorning streets and highways, as well as more controversial yet still well-known figures from the Civil War, such as Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee. As time passes, some of the more obscure war heroes and political figures are all but forgotten, and their street takes on an identity of its own without anyone giving much of a thought to the person it was named after. But for near-contemporary figures such as Neil Armstrong or Rosa Parks, most people tend to think of the individual when they see the name atop of a road sign. And so you might reasonably expect a major thoroughfare in New York City, the self-proclaimed capital of the world, to be named after an immediately recognizable figure. But you'd be wrong, because let's face it, how many of us have ever heard of Major Deegan? It's a question that puzzled today's guest, Professor Rebecca Bratsby's of City University of New York. When she found herself sitting on the famous highway, like so many others, wondering if and when the traffic would move. The Major Deegan Expressway is one of the most significant roads in New York City. It runs past Yankee Stadium and it connects the George Washington Bridge with many of the roads that either lead into Manhattan or lead to upstate New York. So many, many people who are entering or leaving New York via automobile will take the Major Deegan Expressway. So almost everybody taking the Major Deegan has no idea who the guy was. But to the extent that people think about him at all, and one of the things about taking the Major Deegan is that you will be stuck in traffic. To interject briefly... I was quite happy to take Rebecca's word for the traffic situation on the expressway and had zero desire to go there and explore it for myself. But things happen. So I hadn't planned on doing any recording today, but it seems kind of serendipitous that I was driving from Connecticut to JFK Airport. Everything was going pretty smoothly. I was making good time. And then all of a sudden traffic ground to a halt just as I pulled onto the Major Deegan Expressway. And I've been sitting here now for about 25 minutes without moving. I think part of the issue is that a gentleman driving a motorbike decided to add a fourth lane by pulling up next to a car, a few in front of me in the middle lane. And some other drivers thought, hey, that's a great idea. We will also create a fourth lane by following you and putting two cars side by side in the middle lane. But the straw that broke the camel's back is now a dump truck. He is trying to squeeze there too. And um, a lot of people around me are quite annoyed, as you may be able to hear. So you have lots of time to think about who he was, should you want to. But people tend to assume that he was a military hero, that he died in battle, or he demonstrated great valor. And interestingly, he was actually a major 
in the army. He served in the Army Corps of Engineers during World War I. So technically, he was part of the American Expeditionary Force, but he never left New York. He spent his wartime career building fortifications here in New York. He was an architect, so he had the skills to be in that job. And, you know, probably he did it pretty well. But that's hardly the kind of military service that gets you a road named after you as Major Deegan. That is unusual. Now, shortly after the war, he left the military, but continued to call himself Major Deegan, which, again, could imply he had some illustrious military career. But to give the guy some credit, he did have a big role in founding the American Legion, correct? Yes, he was instrumental in both founding the American Legion in the United States and then in creating the New York chapter of it. He was appointed by the governor of New York to the committee to figure out how to help returning soldiers, particularly wounded soldiers. And by all accounts, he was a passionate advocate for wounded soldiers. He spoke out against the veteran bureaus, what he perceived as their failure to treat wounded ex-soldiers properly or to find them jobs. He was a big advocate, interestingly, for firing women who had husbands so that their jobs could be given to returning ex-soldiers. Strangely enough, that wasn't the most compelling of platforms for him. He ran for the position of national commander of the American Legion, and he lost that. And he lost it in a very ugly battle that focused on the fact that he, even though he was in the military, he hadn't served overseas. One thing that I think is important to point out is that he was a strong advocate for Black veterans. He urged all returning Black New York soldiers to join the William Garrison American Legion post, which was a segregated post, but he really emphasized that they had all served together in a speech he gave about why Black veterans should get whatever benefits white veterans were getting. He said, we draw no lines as to race or color or nationality. We are all ex-servicemen who have proved our love of our country and are going to keep fighting through the American Legion to make our country a better place for all. Now, that was through segregated posts. But still, given the time period, I think that was a really important statement that he made. Now, I've read that after he left the military, he was appointed to be in charge of housing, looking at tenement buildings for safety. And in that role, among other things, he had a big issue with pigeons. Yes, Major Deegan had a war on pigeons. He was appointed to be tenement commissioner, which is sort of the equivalent of building commissioner today. But tenement commissioner was a really important role because New York had been flooded with immigrants for 40 or 30 years prior to the time that he took on this role. And many of the housing codes that we have in terms of safety for rental buildings or for residential buildings more generally come from the time when buildings were being converted into these unsafe, unsanitary tenement buildings that were housing really large numbers of people under very dangerous conditions. And as an architect, he was qualified to be tenement commissioner. And he really took the job very seriously. He sent inspectors out and cracked down on slumlords. He did take a very big stand against passenger pigeon coops on the roofs of buildings, which nowadays seems 
sort of obscure, but I guess it was a big deal at the time. In fact, pigeon fanciers lobbied him saying, no, no, no. Think about the role that carrier pigeons play in war readiness. But he was having none of it. He also thought that pigeons carried polio, which they don't. His main issue with pigeon coops was that they were blocking fire escapes and he was worried about the fire hazard. There was another fire hazard that he was also worrying about, and that was families abandoning pianos. It was the age of radio and, you know, sort of middle class people who used to have a piano because it was the only way to have music in their house. Now they had radios and they didn't really need the piano anymore. Pianos are very heavy. They're difficult to move. And New Yorkers, because we live in apartments, people moved a lot. So people were just abandoning the pianos. And there was this huge problem of abandoned pianos being pushed against fire escapes and blocking them. Yeah, it is difficult to relate to all the pianos and pigeons floating about, certainly. But um, you mentioned the big immigrant population and Deegan himself his family were originally Irish immigrants as were the family of New York's Mayor Walker and this was at a period in time where they were both involved with the political machine of Tammany Hall. Can you talk to the political culture at the time which obviously through necessity Deegan would have been involved with bearing in mind this was an era of organized crime and prohibition Well, there was a tremendous amount of corruption in New York City, and some people would say nothing has changed. But Tammany Hall was the local political machine. And Mayor Walker, who was the mayor at the time, Mayor Jimmy Walker, who was one of Major Deegan's closest friends, was very much a tool of Tammany Hall. He was widely regarded as corrupt and was. The New York legislature launched investigations into corruption in New York City that were alternately known as the Seabury investigation or the Hofstetter investigation, depending on whether you're talking about the legislative champion of the investigations or the judge who was actually in charge of it. And uh, Jimmy Walker was a major target of that investigation. Deegan was called as a witness. He was not a target of it. Deegan himself was never accused of corruption. And in fact, when he died, he left a very modest estate, uh, far more so than pretty much any other politician of the era. But he did testify before the Seabury Commission about corruption in the building trade in New York. There were a lot of forces in play, some of which had to do with Tammany Hall corruption and some of which had to do with more mob control during the era. It was also the era where there were mob bosses in New York had a tremendous amount of power and they were deeply involved in prohibition. Uh, There's a very famous picture of Mayor Jimmy Walker leading the parade down Fifth Avenue. It was called the Beer Parade, the day that prohibition was repealed. He was very much a sort of larger than life kind of politician. Even his enemies agreed that he was charming and he was very clever. He was good with the Bon Mott. So he had this sort of love-hate relationship with the press of New York. In 1927, Walker took a governmental trip first to Ireland to the home where his father had come from and then to Paris to sort of view the war memorials, among other things, and He brought Deegan with him. Now, Walker had a real reputation as a partier. And so he's in Paris of all places. And he was going to Josephine Baker's nightclub and he was partying and he was late for official meetings because that's the kind of politician he was. 
But his loyal sidekick, Major Deegan, was reporting to the American press, oh, Mayor Walker's working so hard, he has no time to inspect the nightlife. And it was, you know, flatly contradicted by what was happening. So Deegan was basically his reliable mate who's there to cover his back. One thing that strikes me, you were talking earlier about Deegan's role with uh, housing in New York. This was at a point in time after the Wall Street crash where we had the Great Depression. So I should imagine money was pretty tight in all government departments. Do we have any sense of Deegan being an effective administrator someone who carefully managed that money. Walker, in addition to appointing him as the tenement commissioner, also appointed him as the chair of the mayor's official greeting committee. In that capacity, Deegan was in charge of hosting distinguished guests who would come to New York. And he did that for two years, from 1930 to 1932. And in that two-year period, he racked up a bill of about $5,000, which is about $85,000 in today's dollars. That created quite a scandal because that was a lot of money at a time, as you said, when people were really struggling. Interestingly, it was pretty much all spent on luncheons, dinner banquets, and cars and flowers. And in fact, one of the people that Deegan hosted in this capacity was Italy's fascist foreign minister, Dino Grandi and his wife when they were touring the United States. We've talked a little bit about the scandalous life of Mayor Walker, but Deegan himself was embroiled in a little bit of scandal, not of his own making, but the New York Times carried an article detailing how his wife had run off with another married gentleman who had kids of his own, and the two had posed as brother and sister in New Orleans, having eloped, and then eventually professed their love, and she left Egan. Do you think, going back to the point you made earlier about how he had banished married women from the workplace, his marriage failing, do you think that had an impact on that decision or is that just purely coincidental you know it's hard to know what was going on in the guy's mind but it's clear that he never remarried and he did make a major part of his platform when he was running for commander of the american legion uh, the principle that all employers should fire married women and in particular the department of veterans affairs should make sure that all married women were sent home so that their jobs could be taken by men deegan did apparently have a long-term relationship with evelyn wagner who was mayor walker's press secretary and was the daughter uh, uh sorry not the daughter the niece of the New York Senator Robert Wagner. So um, he probably wasn't a complete misogynist, but maybe he thought that women in the home would, you know, if they were all sort of kept in the home, they wouldn't go out meeting other men. Um, one other thing about the man who his former wife, Violet, eloped with, the man, uh, Albert Crouch, had been one of Deegan's friends. And I assume that is how he and Violet met. Crouch was also an architect, but he was an architect who was serving in the Navy at the time that Deegan was in the Army Corps of Engineers. And I suppose Deegan was sort of at the peak of his professional career when he suddenly passed away. Deegan died in, the, in April of 1932. He died very young. He was only 49 years old. And then Walker wound up resigning a couple months later. Okay, so from what you've said, Deegan 
was promoted to a pretty high level in the military, even though he doesn't fit the pattern of someone he you would think of as a great military figure. After that, it seems like he was a pretty competent administrator. But based on all of that, not the obvious choice to name a road after. So what led to the naming of this street? Well, there's this cohort of dead white guys that I call bureaucrats with roads who are you know, I'm sure perfectly fine civil servants, but didn't have a whole lot more to recommend them that except that they were died young and were Robert Moses adjacent. Very soon after his death, in fact, within weeks of his death, a road between uh, a bridge in New York called the Triborough Bridge and the Grand Concourse in the Bronx was named after him. It was named Major William F. Deegan Boulevard in his honor. And then quite a bit of time later, Robert Moses was trying to convert that road into a highway. Uh, He kept the name Major Deegan because Deegan was a nice guy with a lot of powerful friends. He had died young and tragically, and he had worked relatively closely with Robert Moses. So the Major Deegan Boulevard, which was a pretty soon honorific, becomes the Major Deegan Expressway. And then another decade later, in the 1940s, Robert Moses comes up with this plan to massively expand the Major Deegan Expressway and to use it to connect New York City to the New York State Thruway with the, in retrospect, humorous goal of alleviating traffic. Yeah, so Moses was another interesting character. Tell me a bit more about him. Robert Moses was really the architect of modern New York. He had this vision of building highways to facilitate traffic out to the suburbs. He designed his highways, most of them, so that they couldn't be transversed by buses because he didn't want those people, in air quotes, being able to, and that what that meant particularly was Black people, but it also meant Jews, it also meant Latinx people, to be able to go to the beaches that he was building highways to or to the suburban communities that he was building highways to. Robert Moses held a bunch of different jobs, one of which was the arterial commissioner. He was also the parks commissioner. He was the highway and bridges commissioner. And he held all these jobs at the same time. So he had a tremendous amount of power. He designed a lot of the parks we have in New York. The public pools were done on his watch. And if you look at where they are, almost none of them are in the neighborhoods where Black residents lived. He really steered resources to white Protestant or white Catholic New York. Obviously, the focus today has been on Major Deegan, but he's just one of the characters that you detail in your book. Naming Gotham started with Major Deegan, because the book started in traffic. I used to curse and I would be like, who is this Major Deegan guy? I hate him. And once I researched him and realized, oh, he actually is not really that impressive. It made me wonder who other people were that things are named after in New York. And that sort of started the hobby that ultimately became this book. I mean, I think in the United States, in New York, and really around the world, we're facing this moment where we're really starting to think about who have we named things after? And what does that tell us about, not only about our history, but also about who got to decide what our history was and is? Whose voices matter? Who narrated and put themselves at the center of history? And that is a reckoning that we're 
grappling with here in New York City and we're grappling with around the world because it's very clear that a lot of people were left out of that story of history, that vision of history. A lot of people that things probably should be named for, uh, their names are missing. And that is a vision that is, first of all, works to all of our detriment because when we understand the true complex intersectional narrative that is our history, we have a much richer sense of who we are. And we also understand that we all built this together and that to think that, you know, Major Deegan and the sort of white guys that he hung with were New York is to really miss most of the story. And it's not to diminish him. It's not that he wasn't somebody who did his job well, because by all accounts, he did. But he was helped and enabled and by, you know, an entire city of people, many of whom did not look like him, many of whom didn't even speak the same language as he did. And they built this city just as much as he did. And we need to capture that in order to really understand who we are. So the Major Deegan Expressway, when Robert Moses extended it to the New York Thruway, he extended it through what was known as Van Cortland Park. The Van Cortlands were a very wealthy white family, and they had went back to colonial period. They had a massive land grant from the king, and they had this very large land holding in Nor in what is now the Bronx. And they donated it at the end of the 18th century to the city of New York to be a park. So when Robert Moses put the Major Deegan Expressway through them, these two stories really intersected. And there was tremendous opposition by the people who lived nearby who valued this as a park. Robert Moses ran roughshod over that as he always did. But Recently, this park has been undergoing a reckoning because while generations of Van Cortlands lived in this land, the Van Cortland family were enslavers and they held dozens of people in slavery on this land. So there were generations of people who lived and died and worked on this land as the enslaved property of the Van Cortlands and the Van Cortlands became and stayed wealthy based on this labor that they essentially stole. So New York has been trying to, you know, recognize that part of the history too, and has been sort of trying to find the burial grounds where people are buried in Van Cortland Park to mark them. Cause right now they were historically unmarked and also has renamed a pond in the park that used to be called Van Cortland Park, but now it's called Hester and Piero's Mill Pond in honor of two enslaved millers who worked the mill on this pond. Now, a lot of the people who are enslaved, we don't necessarily know their names, depending on the records, but these two people we do know. So we can commemorate their existence and their participation in the building of New York through the naming of this pond after them. And I think that's really important. To Rebecca's point about naming of roads and other infrastructure projects, we have seen a drive in the United States in recent years where many of these have had name changes. But Deegan is one character whose name lingers on. Even though nobody knows who Major Deegan is, 
when then New York governor proposed renaming the Major Deegan Expressway to honor Joe DiMaggio, who was a beloved figure in New York. He was a New York Yankee. And of course, this is the road that goes past Yankee Stadium. So when Joe DiMaggio died, the governor said, hey, maybe we should rename the Major Deegan Expressway to honor Joe DiMaggio. And the public went ballistic, even though they didn't know who he was. They didn't want the Major Deegan renamed in his honor. And one other little story about the relationship between the Major Deegan Expressway and the Van Cortland Park I was just talking about. In the building of the Major Deegan Expressway, one of the things that happened was a stream was buried. It's called Tibbetts Brook. And it was buried as part of building the Major Deegan. If anybody looking at New York has sort of watched the weather last week or during Hurricane Ida, flooding on the Major Deegan Expressway is a tremendous problem. And part of that flooding comes from the fact that the water now has no place to go. And so there's New York has just started a very large project to daylight the Tibbet stream and run it not in its same old pathway, because that's not really possible anymore, but to create a pathway for the stream waters to reach the Harlem River without being buried in the same way. And the idea is that this is going to alleviate flooding on the Major Deegan. So not only are we undoing some of the erasure of history, but we're also undoing some of the construction that Robert Moses so kindly gave us. And in the next episode, I explore the interface between God and science with astrophysicist Jeff Spearing.